Welcome to the Build and Inspire podcast. We meet incredible people building amazing things, so you'll be inspired to build what you're passionate about. Sharon, you know it's funny that we're actually doing this now because the first time you and I met ever was over the phone. And how long did we talk for? Uh, probably like a couple hours. Right. And I feel yeah. like at this point we've talked so much, we'd have like hours of hours of hours of content. So now that I'm finally able to get you on the podcast, I just feel so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your patience because we were working on a lot of things in the background. So I was pivoting the business I was working on clients and sales, pitch deck. So I was underwater for a bit. You, you've been doing a lot and I've been following you and we've been talking. And this is one of the major reasons like I was super excited to get you on because you're doing some amazing things. So for those that don't know who you are, what you're doing, let, let's, let's get right into it. Sure. Um, so I started the company a couple years ago. I think I told you, Leo, I quit my corporate job last year in, um, May 29th, 2018 mm -hmm. and big deal for me because I worked corporate for 18 years. Yeah, that is a big deal. Yeah. Scary. So, and that's all I knew. And then I went to do a program at, um, the Harvard business school mm -hmm. and it was actually, more corporate training, so more CEO kind of executive management. But during that program, there was one thing that stuck out for me, which is leaders that make a difference in the world. Okay. And I was facing a big question, which was, did I feel like I was doing everything I could be doing in my position in management? Um, it's also difficult as a female across corporate America Sure. Just because you're not necessarily going to get the chances that you think you should get. Um, and it's, it was moving slow still. And that was a few years ago still. Mm -hmm. So then I decided to start planning. And this was actually sort of four years ago when I started thinking about it. And I wanted to start my own business. So I had to think what that was going to be. Did you have like, was this like a, a burning thing you had inside you for a very long time, even before those four years? Like maybe it was like, I'm ready like four years ago, but was it like, did you always have this in you? Like this little entrepreneurial burning desire? It's a good question. I think I always had a lot of energy. So a lot of my friends and family would say an overabundance more than normal. <laughs> no. Model your blood. I don't think there's too much energy. That's not a thing. Yeah. So that's, I think that was the big thing because a lot of people were holding me back is what I felt in corporate. Mm. So I was always struggling because sure. I'd work with people and I'd be like, can I get some more work or can I get a bigger portfolio or can I get it? And, you know, I get it. You want to prove yourself and, you know, expanding uh, isn't the norm in corporate. You can't just yeah. say, let's expand your role because sure. there's hierarchy and it's structure and yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, is it because just like you're kind of like just part of a bigger machine and this is what you do and just focus on this area? Yeah, I think being Canadian as well, because I came from a market where you could do everything when it came to marketing. You were also doing sales and operations and supply chain. And I'd come up with solutions and you could go right from the start to execution. 
and see the whole thing through and work with a lot of counterparts. And then moving to the U.S., it was very like business vertical. You were in charge of this. Therefore, stay within this context and move around a bit within that. Sure. Came along with you, but you really didn't get to say, hey, this is my vision and like, let's move with it. It was actually, I don't know if I told you this, but one of my big issues with corporate was feedback and giving feedback to people. Okay. You always think to talk a little bit about it. Well, we did great because it's still, it was a bee in my bonnet. (laughs) (laughs) What did I tell you? Oh, well, now we can tell the audience. (laughs) Well, it's not, I didn't think that it was fair to judge someone twice a year who worked for me or even me working for someone else and have this full review on your capabilities based on two interactions during the year. Sure. And to me, it was like, you should constantly be giving feedback. Someone should always know where they stand. 100%. And it was, it's more of, I think a whole paradigm shift to me, which I saw it earlier and then it didn't seem to flow through into corporate and maybe it's showing up now. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think it's going to take a while for people to get out of the mind space of, it should only be a couple of times a year we talk about your development or have a real big discussion on your development. And also I think it's subjective. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent agreement. I think a real leader is always giving feedback, right? Not like at a regimented robotic, like we're going to do it at four o'clock, you know, every quarter, like whatever it is, like that's just, that doesn't work out for anyone. And as a leader, you'd want feedback as well, right? Because it's a two way street. Yeah. How am I doing? I am I motivating enough? Team, my team members now, who I have a quite a big team, surprisingly, for a startup, um, I like to tell them right away, and they know that if something's up or somebody can have a bad day, and it's okay as well, and I'll call it. I'll call it on my bad days. Yeah, because nobody's perfect. But in corporate, it was like you, it's okay to to be a certain way or to do a certain thing, and it's like you're not allowed to have bad or good days, and you know, it's the whole thing, the concept of development plans, et cetera, was archaic to me. So morally and fundamentally, I had an issue with it. Yeah, no, I completely understand it. And I want to explore this a little bit more, but I don't want to lose a point that you said earlier, or at least a a topic that you brought up, kind of like the differences between the US and Canada. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of explore that a little bit. And I think uh, I'll ask this, can you, do you mind sharing the the companies you were working at? Yeah, sure. Um, I worked at my first career, actually, I like to share this because it's actually super funny. Yeah. I'm going to show you a picture that I have here. Is that you in a moving truck? That's me in a Frito-Lay truck. Oh. My <laughs> first job at a college. And uh, it's a host, it says Hostess Frito-Lay on it. I love it. We should, take, uh, we should scan it and put it up on the show notes. Sure. I just put it up recently because it's a reminder. Um, when I first started, I started at Frito-Lay. I worked in sales. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine said, hey, Sharon, come and work in this you know, summer job and see where it goes. But it's a great job. Pays really well. Coming out of college, that's the first thing you want is a job. Yeah. And I was like, Frito-Lay, sure. I mean, I like chips and friends and family like it. Right. Why not? And I get to drive all over the city of Toronto to um small format, medium sized format stores and mm-hmm. sell chips. Well, I mean, and also Canadians, Canadians have the ketchup chips, right? <laughs> ketchup and dill pickle. 
Oh, all right. Yeah, we don't have those here in the States. I remember when I first went to Canada, people were like, you have to get that. Yeah, it was, it's my favorite. The only issue is I used to bring them home and then I would eat them all when I meant to give them out to people. I used to work at, for Mondelez, you know, like Oreo and all that. Yeah. And I used to eat like, sat. one time I remember I went to Mondelez in East Andover, New Jersey. I was driving back home. I got stuck in traffic and I had a whole thing of like Sour Patch Kids and I was starving and I'm just like, <laughs> dangerous mm-hmm. um, so, so we're gonna start getting funny things i mean i we we'd start eating chips at 10 a.m i'm not saying that's right but i um it's good for the soul worked, worked at that the the funny thing about that one was we well, i was probably one of three women mm-hmm. in sales so you get up and you get there at 5 a.m and you load your truck like this oh wow four foot truck with chips on it to go out for the day and how long would your, your day be? So you'd work, actually, you got off around four and then you tidy up and stuff. And you would just, at those days, you drove the truck home. Now sure. they definitely don't do that. <laughs> um, and they track everything. Yeah, but I bet. Back in the day, um, we would take the truck back home with us and you parked in a shopping mall. And then you would wake up the next morning and do the same thing again. Wow. And is Frito-Lay, Frito-Lay's owned by PepsiCo? Yes. Got it. So do you think the differences, and I'm kind of thinking about this based on my experience working with local markets around the world, did you have more more autonomy in Canada because you were a smaller market? And I'm using air quotes, people can't see, but uh, that are listening, but smaller market. So you had a lot more responsibility, a lot more things to do. And the US was the main headquarters where everything was a lot more verticalized. Yeah, I think there's two things. One, Canadians, we primarily worked out of the Toronto office or Toronto area. So mm. there wasn't a lot of travel required for your job. Got it. So you would be centralized. You'd be able to, to just go over to the next person in supply chain or whoever's desk and talk to them and just get stuff done. Got it. In the US, I find you had people all over the country and you have to fly to see people, see customers, et cetera. Interesting. Um, and then the second thing was just that the P&L wasn't big enough. Sure. So a tenth the size or depending on the, the brand, sometimes like even less than that, mm-hmm. so responsible in Canada to run everything from finish to sorry, start to finish. And it was just, it gave you a lot more autonomy for decision-making, but it also taught you a lot more across the entire business. Because mm-hmm. you were running, you know, a whole profit and loss statement from cost of goods and the fundamentals, which is why I ended up and where I ended up. And we'll, we'll um, get to that. Yeah, but data was everything we did was based on data then. Wow. Your whole yeah. profit and loss statement from, you know, this gross revenue, gross sales, all the way down to your costs, mm-hmm. you were responsible for. Wow. So how did you go from driving the truck? to then work it in the corporate offices? Yeah, so I asked a lot of questions when I'd be driving that truck about efficiencies on things. See, see that's that good energy you have. <laughs> it's passion. I remember we got this one display and I'll still never forget it. Um, it capsized in the store because it was a hexagon. Okay. And it held Fritos and Cheetos. And when you put the chips on it, it would slide off and then the whole thing would dismangle in a store. Did no one test that? Anyway, so those, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody didn't test it. 
So when you had like interaction with head office, you'd kind of mention these things as well. And then you'd have HR kind of come out with you on your tour and we had a good discussion and they had a position opening up in the head office and they said, why don't you come in and interview for this marketing coordinator role? And of course I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, it was a, a hybrid between sales and marketing. So at the time, I didn't realize I asked a lot of questions. Marketers tend to ask more questions about sure. stuff and plan more strategy. Um, and so I was really fortunate because I got that role at Frito Lay as getting into marketing at a pretty young age and just out of college, not even having an MBA, but my undergrad in sight from you know colleges there in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, and then the MBA was always a passion of mine. So as I was working in marketing and just starting to understand what sales meant to marketing, what sales decks were, how the customer received our products and just all that stuff, four P's, uh, project management, mm-hmm. I was studying for my MBA. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. How, how many years into your career was that? Uh, a couple years in. Okay. So I always knew that I was going to do another degree. um, Mm. And then I really wanted to, I was studying for the master's of business like earlier. It took a couple tries, by the way, for the GMAT. (laughs) There was another program that the testimony had a window and there was a squirrel outside the window. I was by myself in this room. People walked through my room to get to the bigger testing room. Oh, no. Oh, no. And you're nervous. So anyways. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. I get nervous on tests. I was never a good test taker. Yeah. I negotiated a free retake. I always negotiated great things. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, you ended up getting it. But one thing I also want to focus on is sales compared to what you're doing now is a little bit different, right? Because your customers would be like targets of the world, right? Walmarts of the world. That's who are you technically selling to, right? Yeah. So um, what I do now is very different. Yeah. It's good to be on the other side because when I had to negotiate or when I understand like what clients needs are. So the one thing I pride myself on and I always tell my team, um, people will go 50% of the way. Our goal is to go 100% of the way. So always under promise over deliver. Love it. So that's how I meet clients, get clients. Um, when you worked on the other side, you would kind of understand that you just go a little extra mile in terms of the data, the analytics, your insights, people respect you and they want to work with you. Sure. And that's interesting. And now you're selling, well, actually let's take a little bit of a step back. Bruaces. That's what you founded. That's where you're the CEO. What does it do? Yeah. So our goal is to and what I, what I took for my career is that I'm really good at digging into data to find insights. So having worked in, I mentioned Frito-Lay, then I went to Kraft Foods, um, and then I worked at GlaxoSmithKline for the most part of my career in both sales and marketing. And then I worked at um, Newell Rubbermaid and Racket Bankeiser. So a lot of consumer packaged goods company in different industries. All of them, it was around data and analytics to be able to drive an insight and solve a business problem. And that's what we did across every business. That was my specialty. So my whole concept was how do you automate that behavior in a way that would take a business in an industry that doesn't normally have, they might have access to data, but they don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Or they don't know what they have access to. Or you know, you're working in silos, so you're not sharing 
information with other people on your team, or there's just so much of it, you don't know where to start or how to communicate it. So the goal was look for an industry that I enjoyed. Um, in addition, that it looked like there was high growth opportunity, because that's also when you analyze industries, you look at it and say, what's the growth rate? What's the P&L looking like? The margin? Are there people that need help in the area of you know, information? and knowledge and then how do you take that and automate that behavior and the alcohol industry came up and actually funny story we presented to a lot of our customers so target walmart walgreens Mm -hmm. healthcare was always like a big high growth and big retail number right beside it to the left which was the number one category was alcohol so i'd always be like oh just after alcohol is the healthcare industry and so i always thought it was funny that this alcohol business in the U.S. and just globally was so big and it was still growing and there was opportunity across the whole segment um, to drive growth. So started looking into it and that's when I came up with the concept of getting into the craft alcohol space. And we started with craft beer and then we expanded beyond that now to wineries, cideries, distilleries, and now even cannabis and CBD. Interesting, which actually you have a trip out here to Denver soon. Yes, August, middle of August. I'll be there, I think, for my birthday, actually. So August 8th to the 12th. Awesome. Well, if anybody's listening to you, they definitely should reach out to you and try to meet up and see what amazing things you guys could do together. Thank you. (laughs) Hopefully I'll get this out in time. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, we're working on an industry newsletter and we put stuff in for Father's Day and I was like, oh, guys, Father's Day just passed. Oh yeah. Oh, I do that all the time. People, I'm like, I'm going to promote this for you. And I'm like, Oh man, I didn't get it out yet. <laughs> yes. We're like in awe, in lieu of like June being father's day month. Yeah. Yeah. That's just one day of celebration. Here is our industry newsletter. Exactly. Just like your reviews with people that reported to you. Father's day is just should be all year round. Right. Good. Yeah. And I'm an amazing dad. I have to tell you. Like, <laughs> very amazing dad. So well, speaking of family, actually, so making the jump from like a corporate world into entrepreneurship, that's scary. Did you feel like you had the support from your family and from friends? Because I, I talked to a lot of founders and most of them, probably their family are like, don't do it. Don't do it. How much money do you have in the bank account? Like, <laughs> did you feel like you had the support from friends and family? Yeah, I think... Um Going back to an earlier point where you mentioned, you know, did I, do I think I always had this passion for being an entrepreneur and, you know, was it always ingrained in me? I think my family was really supportive because they knew that I had done the corporate thing for a really long time. Uh, They also knew that my education was important. I did all these steps for education, um, you know, which they knew, okay, I had a solid head on my shoulders. I wasn't just going out on a whim. Mm -hmm. And then I had traveled substantially in both Canada and the U.S. and globally. Yeah. And they have been 110% supportive. I can't Amazing. say how fortunate I am for um, my father in particular. Um, and then my aunt actually helps with a lot of the editing and she helps me with um, staff management. Oh, nice. Is so, she in Canada? Um, or is she? Yes. Yeah. Whoops. My, my, my watch is telling me that she doesn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> um, so my, yeah, that they're, uh, I talk to them actually every day. Nice. And they also lift me up when I'm having a hard day, when I'm like, I'm not sure if this is really going anywhere. Like, is the, the big boulder that I'm moving moving? Sure. It feels like it's 
it's just stuck or going backwards. And they're always like there to encourage me. So I definitely have major cheerleaders. And then my friends are extremely supportive, even though, you know, I have some that would question, you know, what I'm doing, but when you were, as you know, when you're working on stuff, you can't explain everything to everyone and you just have so much nuance. Yeah, no. And and that's how you and I initially really got connected to and became friends. Just, we need that. And I realized that too. And I've had a lot of conversations with entrepreneurs and you just need that support system going at it alone. It's like this old, I don't even, I don't even know where it came from or like the era that it came from, but like maybe the eighties, like do it on your own. You got to work by yourself and get it done. And like, that's just not the reality of it. We all as people need to be supported and work with like-minded people and get that encouragement. I still even have, even with all the support I have, Leo, I swear some days I'm like, okay, I have to literally tell myself you have tons of support. People want to see you succeed. You know what you're doing. Like you can make it happen. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, there's, there's the difference between hearing it and feeling it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I might know that I have all these people supporting me, but do I feel it today? And I don't always feel it mm-hmm. for whatever reason, right? I just woke up on the wrong side of bed. And so, and so I get it. I, I percent agree. Usually I wait until the end to ask this question, but I, I want to ask it now is yeah. what do you, what do you do when you feel those days? Like, even though you feel the support all around you and you know, or not feel, sorry, you don't feel the support, but you know that people are supporting you, but you wake up and you're just like, ah, cause I hate those things. Like love what you do. And like, you know, Mondays just shouldn't feel like Mondays. Like as much as I love what I do, sometimes Mondays suck. <laughs> that's just, that's just human. What do you, what do you do those days? Yeah. It's funny. When I became an entrepreneur, you'd think that it would have been extremely hard, the transition. Mm-hmm. And for some odd reason, whether it was just because I'm naturally, this is what I should have been doing. It was a lot more comforting going into the space. I think I like being my own boss. I think I learned that I actually like making my own decisions. Majority of the time, I like a lot of autonomy. And so working in corporate, it was stifling me. Um, So one thing I'm always grateful for when I wake up is that I have even when I say like maybe I don't feel that support etc I try to attack my to-do list like something on it because it's almost like the neurotransmitters in your brain all that good feeling stuff if you can get one little thing done and I am one of those people that makes my bed every day and I know there's a lot of studies on that but I definitely do that and most days Leo where you're like really it might help just an inkling mm-hmm. um I get outside a lot that's, that's a good for me there's so much research behind that. I think there's actually a book, a new book that came out about being in nature, mm. how important it is. That makes sense. I, I did the craziest thing. I don't know actually if I told you this or yet or not. Um, so now I bike all over. Okay. So you text I me sometimes when you bike and I'm like, stop texting me. <laughs> Wait, how are you texting me? <laughs> or is it voice? I hope it's voice. It's not, but I'm usually stopped okay. at a light. Okay. Yeah. Someone's like, wow, how is she texting me right now? Like I could barely ride the bicycle by myself without like. <laughs> I'm so good on my bike now. People are amazed. They're like, you got here in 30 minutes or you got here in 50 minutes. And you're um, in Brooklyn so for the audience. You're in Brooklyn, right? Williamsburg? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn and I'm actually in Bed-Stuy. Oh, okay. But I bike into Soho because um, we work out of the Amazon Lost Space. Okay. 
a couple days a week with my team. So it's usually Tuesdays and Thursdays for everyone wants to catch me there. It takes me 30 minutes to do that bike ride. Wow. If you drive it, anytime my GPS or I look and see on Waze or on Google Maps, how long it's going to take me, it's mm-hmm. normally going to take me less time riding my bike. Oh, I bet. Mostly because of traffic. And you've got to park and then you've got to sure. walk from the parking spot. So an add on that and you're already... It's, I'm about efficiencies and a lot of things I do. So when I, this bike thing is amazing. It's like changed my life. Yeah. And you get a workout in. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the endorphins. So being outside nature. So I just bought, um, a rain bag. I forget what brand it is, but it's amazing. I went to uh, ride. Did you say a rain bed? It's like a rain bag that you attach onto the back of your bike on a rack. And I was always worried about my laptop. So all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to get this bag it's a little expensive but you know i was like this makes sense i have a portable monitor a second monitor and my laptop uh-huh. and i put my lunch and everything in there it feels like i have a couple kids back there that i'm riding with <laughs> so happy. i probably have a better workout because of it yeah anyway, wait i've been in this torrential rainstorms that we've had here fine everything is fine i feel really good there's nothing on my back i have a rain jacket and rain pants now Wow. Look at you. Look that's everywhere. That's awesome. I used to, when I lived in Des Moines, Iowa, I used to take my bicycle everywhere. If I went food shopping, that's what I did. I was get a bike here, actually, Leo. We'll go biking. Yeah, let's do it. Actually, I'll, I'll ship my bike over. I need to do it. Yes. We'll definitely do it. So that's, that's awesome, though. Like, I feel those days, too. I wake up sometimes, and I'm just like, ah. What am I going to do? Sometimes actually, maybe the worst for me is when the day ends and I don't feel like I completed enough. And I don't even know what that answer is. Like, what's enough? I can't answer that. It's <laughs> funny. Last week, I was like, what did I do all week? Yeah. Well, I, I've, been, I've been focusing on the concept of managing your energy and not managing your time. Mm-hmm. Because... Earlier in my career, not even earlier, like even just a year ago, I set up blocks on my calendar, like, all right, you know, podcasts, contracts, emails, but then I'd get the notification for like contracts. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like doing that now. And I, and I think I have a bit of uh, anxiety disorder because sometimes I'm like, oh, am I, am I not going to feel like doing it ever? But I now trust that. I will get that feeling like the inspiration will come. That drive will come, but I'm okay now with it coming on a Friday at like 10 o'clock at night. So I'll work on it. Are you kind of doing that same kind of thing? Like managing your energy yeah. or is that? I am. Um, I allocate stuff based on a lot of the, we, I mean, we have a lot of stuff going on. Um, I think I explained that we don't have a CTO on our business. So I'm the CTO. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, being a CEO and a CTO, probably a conflict. Yeah, well, I mean, it's completely different skill sets, right? So I've had to divide up a lot of my time on getting stuff done. On I always tell my team that I have 50 swim lanes going on at once. Sure. And that they're, you know, they're the first 10 and they are my priority. So, you know, you were mentioning like what are things that also motivate me to get out of that potential rut of being an entrepreneur and being like, what am I doing? I talk to my team a lot and I try to motivate them a lot and I try to get the best out of them. And sometimes I'm really tough on them as well. And I tell them, if I say the one thing I always do right away is I'm like, 
hey, if you thought I was really hard on you on this particular thing, you know, here's why. And I don't want, I hope you know that it's coming from a place that I know you can be amazing. Sure. I know you can deliver amazing work. And this is like a test for you. So go get it done. Yeah. And I, and I guess what they can't see either is how hard you're being on yourself. Yeah. They, they, my team knows me really well. Like when they've worked with me for a few months, Mm -hmm. uh, they actually are really amazing and they um, come to me and they're like, I know you care and I know you want the best out of my work. So Mm -hmm. I know you're coming from a good place. And that means a lot to me. Actually, my team oftentimes sends that to me. So I'm really happy and proud of that. And I'm very proud of all of the guys that I've worked with uh, throughout my whole, because I've had three rounds of interns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I think I've had how many interns? Well, we've had nine this past um, term. Wow. Did you have nine at any given point, like sitting with you in Soho? Yeah, well, not, they might not have physically, because not all of them are physically in the same spot, but nine at the same time on my team working on stuff. Got it. But when you and I first met, what is this, maybe like three, four months ago, you were actually, technically the, your office was your home. Is, this the, is the Amazon space new? Yeah, so I went to an event and when I found out that as a co-founder or sorry, as a founder who runs a business that has tech components on it, you can actually sign up with Amazon. Even if you're just investigating their services, you can work out of the loft space, which is in Soho. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't know so this. Oh, it was nice. Yeah, that's, I, I, actually, this is the first I hear about this at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a, they have a ton of things for startups. Um, I recently just finished my pitch deck. Um, the irony Which actually I can't wait to was, see. yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I, you're always a critic on your pitch deck. I want to work on it some more all the time. I want to change it, but <laughs> get it out. Well, you don't so have a, just a started founders are the worst at creating pitch decks. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I finally let it go though. Last week I gave it to my advisors and said, here you go. And they started sending it out and they, which is amazing. It's really exciting for us because we're actually pitching for 500,000 in investment, which is really hard for a female founder as well, because we always feel like we need to have everything perfect mm-hmm. and it's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect at this That's point. Right. Um, so I went to an event, this, the startup team at Amazon threw a pitch deck review, um, as well as you could go up and actually pitch your business in front of VCs for practice. And that was two weeks ago. Um, so it was perfect timing. They gave me a ton of really great feedback. And then they also judge you on a whole bunch of criteria. And they give you five minutes on a big stage to pitch. That's incredible. Yeah. That is so really cool. They have a cool. ton of resources. Yeah, this is very... Literally the first time I ever hear about any of this. You'll have to come visit us. Oh, I'll be there. We'll ride our bikes together. Yeah. <laughs> Couple um, of, you know, it's one bridge. Yeah. That's it. Well, if I'm coming from Jersey, I'll put the bike on the bus. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Ferry. From Jersey. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the ferry. I could yeah. ride to the ferry. Yes. I used Love to do that I used to live in Hoboken. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm from Weehawken. Yeah. yeah. I know that area well. I used to ride up to the George Washington Bridge. Oh, wow. That's a far ride. That hill right before the bridge is the craziest hill. Oh, yeah, the Palisades right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was born. I was born in North Bergen. They're in the hospital. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Right that's over awesome. there. Yeah, right. I drive by it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Palisades Hospital. Now I think it's called something else, but that's where I was born. True Jersey boy. That's yep. what you're saying. 
Oh, you, this comes up a lot on the podcast. And somehow I randomly have a lot of New Jersey guests. <laughs> ah, good to know. Yep. So I first Canadian guest? No, you're the second, actually. The last episode was uh, Brent Rogers. He's in Toronto. Actor turned salesperson. Okay. I have to talk to him then. You have to. He is amazing. He's just fantastic. And actually, you might be, you should go on his podcast. I'll introduce you. It's called oh, No great. Ordinary Life. And he just interviews people that just have had unique experiences of life. So I'll make an intro. Thank you. And go subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give him that shout One out. One other thing too, you know what I wanted to tell you, Leah? The other thing that I find helps me through the ruts, mm-hmm. and this has helped a lot in the past six months, um, is reading a lot of books. Are you reading the books or listening? I read them because I like having a book in my hands and I like reading, but I was a bookworm when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And the past, the first six months of being an entrepreneur was really tough and I really didn't spend as much time reading. I did like short reads mm-hmm. online, but now I'm like plowing through books. Interesting. Business books? Business books primarily, but different types of business books. So um, some tech stuff, which I hadn't read before. Um, I've been like getting immersed in stuff. My recent one is called Digital Ape and actually got the book release. What's so, it about, Digital Ape? Yeah, it's about talking about um, the evolution of obviously homo sapiens in the brain and just where we are and then how we interact with intelligence with regard to computers okay. and that we shouldn't fear it. So I'm not done the book. I just started it. Sure. Um, but I also read a recent one on VCs. Okay. Interesting. Just to understand how VCs work and investments and angel investors. Um, some strategy books. Just, it's really good. Like when I'm having a bit of a rut. Sure. It's good to read. You find, is it because, and it could be a mixture of things. Is it, you find an inspiration or maybe someone's setting out a bit of a plan. You're like, oh, wow, they've done it. This is how I could do it. I didn't think about it this way. Is it a bit of everything or none of, none of the above? No, it's some of that. And then, um, so it's the inspiration part for sure. And like learning, I think helps your brain move from getting stuck in a downward spiral to physically and mentally you're like moving forward. So your whole body's going to move forward and your thinking's got to move forward. Um, yeah. It and I really, synapses in the brain. Yeah, it's really, really good. And like probably when you're learning something, I find, and even I really, I get excited when I watch my team learn things. So that also feeds my energy because when I see them all of a sudden, their light bulb goes off. There's, I know that things are in motion and they're moving forward and they're growing. So I I think that helps a lot of my mini ruts that I get into. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I love that, that, that exchange of energy. It goes back into like the human connection and building and leading and being part of that community and doing things together. Yeah. And actually that's been one of the biggest inspirations for me in the last four months because mm. I had such a big team. Sure. I bet. Well, I think, um, you and I talked a little bit about this, but I'm reading a book called lost connections and like the unexpected solutions to anxiety and depression. And actually that's one of the catalysts that I'm why I'm moving back from Denver to New York. And I realized that days that I've been sad or the times I felt like I couldn't get through things, it's because I didn't have people around me or not just people, but like people that I have meaningful connections with. Right. Because I could always go call someone up and like, Hey, let's go have a beer. Right. But 
it's not something like having someone you've known and knows you in and out. And, you know, so that's in New York is where I have that. So I'm like, not really like people are like, are you excited to move back to New York? There are many reasons why I'm excited to move back to New York, the physical place, but I'm really more excited about connections, like being able to hang out with you, being able to hang out with my best friend, Steve. And like, that's what I'm excited about. I get it. I would I moved a lot and because I moved a lot, I had to make friends quickly. Yeah. You told me two, you've moved every two years since I guess being a child. So born, I think. Wow. <laughs> Did they let you use the Frito-Lay truck to move? Um, well, I, I probably shouldn't say yes on this podcast. So that would be- <laughs> the, the statues of limitations are passed already. They can't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could fit them in my stuff in, in between the chip boxes. Yeah. <laughs> but I did have a lot I did have a lot of people that were always happy that I had chips around, I have to say. Going oh, back. Heck yeah. Yeah. Just come me out of college. Around. I should like have them in my pocket. Yeah, see. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Like at the end the thing I think too, it's a little someone told me this along the way that it's a lot easier for females to make friends. Okay. Um, and because I moved so much younger, when I came to the U.S., super fortunate because I've been here eight years. Every place that I moved, so Pittsburgh, Bentonville, Arkansas, Hoboken was a bit of an anomaly. Um, mm-hmm. It's so close to New York and stuff. Yeah. I mean, for all uh, intents and purposes, I just say New York. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always have a really great friends who are extremely supportive even to this day um i just went back to pittsburgh because i'm actually i have a client in pittsburgh and i got to see my friends i got to kind of allude to some great things that are coming up in pittsburgh on with some work that i'm doing and they are like super supportive of me for the industry both in like craft distilling but beer um and the same goes for bentonville arkansas even though i don't get a chance to go back there as much it's a little bit further mm-hmm. um but I have like really amazing friends that I've met along the way. I feel like that, that changes everything, at least for me. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in New York, I've met some amazing people in New York and New York's sort of a transient place. And I, I mean that because there's people here that have like truly lived here their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And I think they're not jaded, but they're just tougher around the edges. Sure. But those are actually farther and fewer, fewer between like you, when you move to New York, you meet very few New Yorkers, like true New Yorkers, or at least Manhattanites. Like you might meet someone from Staten Island or someone that grew up in Brooklyn or something, but think about how many people do you actually, maybe you do know a lot, but maybe like think about most people don't know a lot of people that actually grew up in Manhattan. Yeah. It's funny. I've bumped into some people though, that I'm like, Oh, you've been here your entire life. That's interesting. Yeah. But they have definitely a better a better perspective on safety and such. But I actually think New York's one of the friendliest places. You just have oh. to tell a New Yorker when you when you want something, and then we're like jump into action. Same. No, I've I've seen people get into trouble, and New Yorkers will help you and support you. Yeah. Like, you know, people have things to do. They're getting to work. They're doing this. They're doing that. But if you need help or support, or even being from New Jersey, I remember when I started working in the city, I know how to get around. And if I ask someone, someone would stop and tell me like, Oh, you go here, go there. Like, yeah, I think that's, um, it's a bad stereotype about New Yorkers. Yeah. And I, I think too, um, when you're living in Brooklyn and you go into Manhattan, 
every day you get the best of both worlds. Agreed. That's how I feel about Jersey. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Like, I feel like I go, I mean, it's, it's really a different world, especially Jersey. I love living in Hoboken. I just, um, for the industry and I don't know, I feel I'm a better fit with Brooklyn. I'll admit. Yeah. That's fair. No, I, I, for me, it's just that it's home. Yeah. You know, I think it's the cocktails and the um, happy hours here though. We'll drag you out here often enough, Leo. Don't worry. Please. No. Yeah. We got to go dancing too. Yeah, right? Exactly. And, you know, I love dancing. Rooftop parties that all of a sudden as an aside, but you always need to take some time. Hey, another thing you need to take time off. I was becoming a workaholic. Yes. And I'm with some friends. Actually, I'm, I'm surprised my friends didn't disown me because <laughs> I know they wanted to. And they got tired of even asking me to go out and mm. they're, they're better now because they know I need to work a fair amount because in my industry, that's another thing you can't, you get a lot of meetings on the weekends. Sure. Oh yeah. Cause you're working with breweries. Yeah. So a lot of, and then travel, et cetera, you know, you're working seven days a week, but I said, and especially with summer, cause you know, summer is so short in the Northeast. You have mm. to take advantage of getting out to, we have so many great things like the beach, um, and then all the, you're in a lot. I'm excited to have you back. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. And actually we've never met in person. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. You're right. I, I know, like, right? Yeah. How crazy is that? So one of the things that you've brought it up a bit and I definitely want to tackle it. And there's two points that I, I want to talk about is, you know, being a woman, a in business, being a woman in the entrepreneur as a founder, um, what are the challenges there? And also, like, just for everyone listening, what are the, the ways to overcome those challenges? And do you feel things are getting better? Sorry, there's yeah. like a 20-part question. <laughs> I'll try to touch on each one of those five minutes. Uh, no, so the, I'm really excited about one thing that I'm going to mention. So I actually entered into the Tory Birch. Um, she has a foundation. Mm-hmm. that it, It's called the Fellowship. Okay. And our fellows and you submit your business and your business plan. And she picks out 50. Um, I wasn't selected as one of the 50, but I'm going to reapply again because I think it's just business stage. Awesome. Um, so Tori Birch, if you're listening, I'm going to enter again. <laughs> um, but definitely listening. she gave us a six week program at Cornell and it's paid by the bank of America on female entrepreneurship. Love it. That's And I am so happy that I have this opportunity because what it's done, you were asking about being a female founder, Leo, and it's really exciting time. So one thing I'll start there, like people want to invest in females. 2% of all the VC money was going to female businesses. Mm-hmm. I think it's slightly up to 4% now, but that's just no money going into female founded businesses is a simple statement. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the things that were brought up, and this is in the course itself, is that people, in particular men who maybe are running these VCs, don't understand the female businesses. Okay. Maybe it's in industries they're not interested in, and I'm not going to list any, but I'm sure we sure. can. Um, in addition, women don't like asking for money. Okay, interesting. Like straight and narrow, it's, we, we will ask you for money if we know we're going to guarantee you your money back. Because I did actually my thesis, I didn't tell you this, but when I was um, in my undergrad and I did an undergraduate thesis, 
I did it on spending and saving behavior and the differences between gender and ethnicity. Wow, I didn't know this. Yeah, and the big finding is men and women use money in a different way. Okay. Summary is really males use it as a tool, no surprise there, mm-hmm. but showing power. And then females use it as an opportunity for communication, relationship building, um, kind of sharing or potentially providing a good feeling mm-hmm. when you're purchasing something. Interesting. And then there's differences across ethnicities in terms of how does how are you using money and the amount of debt, et cetera, that you're comfortable with. So it's just in our, we looked at three factors as a female founder that are against you or mm-hmm. that you should consider. Psychological barriers, sociological barriers, economical barriers. Okay. And this is all in my first week taking this course. <laughs> wow. And I was just like, this is amazing because these are things that I potentially thought about, but like never had a discussion or an intellectual debate on why I have barriers and what my barriers are when I have a super supportive family and my father's never made me feel like being a female, I would have an issue getting and achieving my dreams. Sure. But for some odd reason, there's these other things, economical, sociological, or, um, psychological that are barriers. Interesting. Is, and we could talk about one, we could talk about many, but is there one that sticks out in your mind that you really, maybe from a personal perspective, narrowed in on and now found a way to overcome that challenge? And the, the reason I'm asking too is just so we could talk about it and for other women listening to this, for them to like build those skills. Yeah. I'm going to touch on all three because I think they're all important. Yeah, I mean... We could talk for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one's psychological. I feel like I have finally overcome some big barriers I had personally. Mm-hmm. So one thing would have been, do I know what I'm doing? Okay. Do I actually have value to add with regard to the solution I'm trying to provide? And why me? Like, why is it that I'm coming up with the solution versus someone else? And when you tell your story time and time again, hey, I have 18 years in consumer packaged goods, analyzing data across multiple companies, multiple countries, multiple cities. Mm -hmm. And then you are reminded that, and then you probably know this already, but in order to be sort of an expert, quote unquote, you need a decade of experience in something. Sure. Like, yeah, the the 10,000 hours. Yeah. So when I look at it and I'm like, wow, I've almost had two decades Mm -hmm. and I forget like all the amount of insight digging that I've done or analyzing things and quickly figuring out solutions to actually drive growth, which is what I've like tapped into for the business that I do. And how do we automate that behavior is really Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do. This was like really, I'm actually excited about it. Yeah. So I like tapped into the fact that I don't have to be scared about like what I'm doing or what I'm trying to achieve because I actually have a lot of expertise in this and I can teach other people. You know your shit. Yeah. <laughs> but it took some it took some time to actually believe that as an entrepreneur because you're like, what am I doing? Like, where am I headed? I'm steering. I tell people what entrepreneurship is. You're in an ocean 
you're steering a boat and you have no idea. Okay, fair enough. You know where the sun's setting and when it's, <laughs> you don't really yeah. like have something that's going to, you are your compass. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, so that's one. So psychologically, I feel like I've, I've, and this year in particular, you know, we talked about the ruts. I have a better mechanism of solving those ruts a lot faster and it makes you more resilient. So you, be, you become more confident. Interesting. So going back to an earlier point, there's a difference between knowing it and feeling it too, mm-hmm. right? The, when you got to the point where you knew it, how did you start feeling it? I or it just came, it was... What? This is going to be funny and it's going to be different for each person. I started to feel it when people would say it back to me and be like, holy shit, like look at all your experience or you went here for school or you did this, you traveled this, you did three weeks in Europe studying beer and like the craft alcohol industry. Um, and, or when I would present to some advisors and they'd say, you really should be speaking on this topic because you know way more than I, I even assumed you knew. Yeah. So I think it was getting out there and putting yourself into uncomfortable situations and actually pitching your business. And that took a while for me to do. So I, Mm. you know, it's been a good year on my own and I've been doing that in the last sort of six months, teaching my team and getting like really structured because we have an onboarding and orientation kind of leverage that for my corporate career where I I love that you have that. You know how many startups have like zero? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'm very structured. So they, and I want them to know the business and I want them to know the history and some of the funny things. Like we talk about funny stories. So I love that. I, I try to say like, there's one funny thing that happens to me a day, every day. Mm. <laughs> so let me try to like lighten up everything and remind you about what that funny thing is yeah. here or there. Um, so that's helped. Like psychologically, I know I'm helping my team grow on a subject that they wouldn't necessarily know anything about. And so watching them develop, especially in the tech side, I've really pushed my coders. And I mean, these are just out of CUNY, don't really know even what like it means to be a coder and want to work at Google. And they're working with me. Yeah. And we have to talk about software architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're the CTO too. Yeah, for, for now I do. I'm working on a few people, but yeah. So, and it's good because I bring a different perspective, which is more visionary, but they are the ones that have to like deliver something like a software architecture or a review of the APIs or, you know, Hey, like this is what our code should be like in what format and yeah, product how viable products should be. Yeah. Interesting. Now, let me know if I'm getting, if I'm getting ahead at any point, because I know you wanted to talk on the three topics. Um, who are you mostly meeting with when, it, when you're talking to breweries? Are breweries kind of like a male-dominated industry? I, I know very little about breweries and you know, that yeah. space. Um, actually, it's funny because I guess it ties into uh, what the second one is, is sociological uh, factors, which is women are traditionally in specific industries. Mm-hmm. Men are in other industries. Okay. So this ties to that nicely because one of the things I really liked about the craft alcohol is there weren't a lot of women and it was an opportunity and I happen to do well when it's a, a growing industry and one that requires kind of, hey, let's get some more women involved. What I found actually, when I do my cold calling, which there's various ways I do to get clients, 
But when we do do cold calling, which is reaching out to a brewery, um, first, we just kind of contact them on their site. The women have a tendency to respond more and to be a little more engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a shift in terms of the amount of women and men. So I'm actually quite surprised that there are quite a, quite a few females, female founders and well. females that are running the marketing and social media. Yeah. Interesting. I was, yeah. Cause I was going to ask like, who are you calling? So like what kind yeah. of position are you calling? Yeah. So we go to the brewery owner, but then we ask them, Hey, who's your, who's responsible for your sales, social media and your marketing yeah, you get the connection. Yeah. And then it's usually the fa- the founder or the brewery owner who's like, Hey, you know, let's talk about this or let's at least investigate. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're supportive. There have been some old school folks in the industry that okay. actually don't feel like, yeah, no, no surprise there. That um, don't feel like data per se might help them understand their business better mm-hmm. or they're not clear. And that's okay. Cause that's my job. Yeah. I'm supposed to like, make sure like, Hey, this is what we can do to unlock growth with you. Or mm-hmm. here's what our software as a service really means. Or like, Hey, let's test out and trial and see like, mm-hmm. do you actually think these are driving business. And then we go from there and so far so good. I mean, Amazing. So, I mean, yeah. maybe it, this is hard to tell cause this isn't always upfront, but do you feel that sometimes maybe, or have you ever had an experience where you felt you weren't connecting as well because you are a woman, maybe talking to a, a male. I have in other industries, mm-hmm. the receptiveness I've seen in the craft, which I'm really happy. It's very entrepreneurial has been amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so far so good. Yeah. And yeah. actually I think it's a competitive advantage now. Sure. Like you said, yeah. People are looking to invest and, and people are looking at like, hey, more females in the industry. I finally overcame that other psychological barrier, which was like, do I have something to offer? When I sit in meetings and a lot of males still, I get feedback and I actually put out a survey to get information back after the meeting to say, hey, what did you think of the meeting? Did you find the information valuable? And that sort of thing. And that's a positive reinforcement loop. That's amazing. And then oh, the third one? So far, so good. Oh, the third one. All right. So economical. So it comes down to, in your past, would you have been exposed to where you're actually using money as a tool to fund your business? Or did you get trained earlier how to manage money in a certain way? There's traditionally a negative connotation to females with money and managing money and that just understanding it. Um, I've personally been very fortunate because I, through my life, purchased four houses, sold three, um, and like big things that I had to do on my own. And I'm like, you know, I would never say that there's a difference in terms of females and males in terms of being able to purchase something, make decisions. And they say that all the facts are that women have a high spending power. Okay. And then you'd see in the news lately, all the CEOs that are getting put into high roles in big companies. Yeah. So I think 
this whole economical factor probably had to have some time where women were, you know, they were definitely not having children as much and then, you know, or they are and they're just the one that's managing or they're head of the household because their income is higher. Sure. We just needed more of a paradigm shift. I still think there's a lot of women that will struggle with um, asking for money. And I definitely didn't know what the heck I was doing, though. That's my biggest barrier right now is yeah. I feel confident. Somebody asked me this week, what are you spending that $500,000 on? Mm-hmm. And I know what I'm spending that money on, and I know why I need that money. And it's because I truly believe we have an idea and a solution for the industry. Mm-hmm. And yet I stumbled a bit on that answer, and I shouldn't have. Yeah, you just got like a bit of anxiety. Yeah, like somebody just being like, point blank, what are you going to do with that money? Like half a million dollars, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, well, I'm going to just throw it on my bank and buy a boat. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, no, I'm going to watch every single cent. I want to pay my team was another thing, you know? Like I want team members that I I know are going to stay with me for the next year versus having interns that are coming in six to 10 weeks. Of course. Yeah. Do you feel like so, that, that gets better with practice? Yeah, I think, um, I think I should have, I you always say you'll be prepared and you practice. And mm-hmm. once somebody like asks you a specific question, they always say this in all the books I've been reading and such, it's you'll never let that happen again. Yeah. You'll never be like, Oh, what do you mean? What am I going to do with that money? Yeah. yeah. And I know hands down. I mean, I, I wrote the pitch deck from and every and single you, financial. Yeah, you know it better than anyone else. Yeah, and it's not even like somebody else wrote my financials or my sales projections. I know every single one of those numbers. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so it was, it's funny. It's, it's one of those things that I've actually, we should talk about it in three months and say, okay, where are you now on that? But not three months because I should be funded by then. But <laughs> Well, certainly. I mean, the beautiful thing is we could do it in person too. Like we should have a follow-up a hundred percent. And yes. uh, I, I love promoting everything you're doing. I mean, you're an inspiration to many people, including myself. So I l- want to go ahead and share this. And so we, we should 100% let's do it. Yeah, as long as I don't, yeah. as long as I don't release this three months from now, <laughs> <laughs> like say, there's always like a delay then the next yeah, one. Ex- <laughs> Yeah, like, I am really excited about that one, Leo, because that's the biggest one for me right now. And I want to get funded. Hmm. And there's no reason why I shouldn't get funded, in my opinion. Yeah. And now I just have to clearly communicate that to an investor that wants to work with me and my team and know like the amount of work that we've done on like a shoestring budget and the getting sales and customers is my number one priority right now as well. When every book you read, by the way, on funding is that your funding should be your number one priority. <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But how would you, I, I've had not a lot of conversations, just a few conversations with VCs and people that invest in, in general. And I hear many different things. Like right now, do you need to have a um, minimal viable product? before you get the funding? Because I hear most of the time that an idea is not just enough, right? You need at least something to be able to show, even if it's like the clunkiest website in the world. Is, is that what you're seeing out there? And just from like a general VC investment space? Yeah, I think the key learning for me is you need to have a really good vision and sell it 
and people need to believe in you because they're buying into you and your story. And then what I tell you is most female founders will not go out to get funded unless they have an MVP and they have sales behind them because they struggle. And I know I struggle with this selling the bigger vision Mm. of something that's so broad that you might not be confident telling other people that you can get to. Cause I have a much bigger vision Leo, and I don't expand on that all the time because I just don't think it's the, the appropriate time right now. We talked about some of the branding and stuff that I'm working on. No, I agree. Um, and like you said, like you needed to see, and also when you're doing these pitches, you have a certain amount of time, right? Yeah. So you you kind of have to like, just get to the main points. You can't be everywhere. You can't shotgun it. Yeah. Well, here's another cool thing that I figured out pretty quick craft alcohol industry uh, U.S. market alcohol, $200 billion. Um, and so big business. And growing. And growing. Um, the, the craft element, so alcohol is $200 billion. Craft is the area that's growing. So craft spirits is kind of 15%. Um, craft beer used to be at 12 but now it's down to 6%. Mm-hmm. Cideries is in the double digits, and then wineries is in the double digits. And I heard mead wow. is coming up too now, right? <laughs> And there's a lot of kombucha stuff as well coming up. So, yeah, I, I went to a party yeah. the other day and they were making uh, like, I guess like a kombucha mimosa kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm about it. And then there's non-alcoholic beverages. So I had been doing a lot of work. Whenever I travel the U.S., we go to a lot of craft breweries, distilleries, cideries, wineries. Yeah. I was already starting to feel like we needed to expand behind beyond alcohol okay. to have a bigger vision and a bigger goal in terms of what we're trying to achieve. Interesting. And we talked about it with our advisors as well, my advisors. So I got to ask you, and I guess this is more yeah. of a personal thing too, but it does have to do with business. I'm going to be hundred percent honest. You know, Heineken came out with their, what is it? 1.0 or something is yeah. it called like zero alcohol. And I don't get it at all. I went and I read trade magazines and like all the information about millennials looking for their to drink beer but not to get drunk me as leo 34 years old maybe it's my age i don't know i don't get it i'm not going to drink yeah. a non-alcoholic beer and i'm not talking about people that probably have alcohol issues or anything like that i'm talking about just <laughs> so it's funny i'm going to tell you the opposite a female mm-hmm. who wants to go out and have fun with everyone but I can only have like a drink and a half Mm. before I start to feel, especially with the amount of activity I do. So I actually blame it on that. (laughs) Might be my liver doesn't know how to process it or something, (laughs) but I'd like to have a drink in my hand. Yeah. Or I'd like to be trying something. So non-alcoholic beverages or something that would potentially give me the taste or flavor of an alcoholic beverage without feeling like I'm drinking juice. Yeah. feeling to me. Okay. I get it. Well, especially, I mean, is it because we were conditioned for that, right? We're all drinking. I'm drinking. So I have the idea, the experience of still drinking without the effects. Yeah. And the health benefits, like I don't want to wake up the next day. True. And I will, after a couple drinks, feel like I want to sleep all day, which is ridiculous. Sure. But I want to hit the gym and I want to do some stuff on my business or I want to get out with friends and still enjoy the whole day. I mean, you only have a few sunny days in New York on the weekend. Yeah. Um, with all the rain we've had. 
And to me, it's attractive to order a non-alcoholic beverage. All right. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. you're expanding my mind because at first I was like, I need to learn because <laughs> I don't get it. And also I think it's in between, like, let me have something people. I don't like drinking water normally. And I know I should love it. I don't drink any water. Like this is straight espresso. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have some water, but a lot of water and I try. Yeah. But if I'm out somewhere, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I need to have a glass of water in between every drink. And actually, I much prefer to drink something that it doesn't have a lot of sugar. It's a little fizzy, maybe, and it's close enough to water, but I feel like I'm having something else, like something mm-hmm. special. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of smart beverages coming out. I know some founders in New York that are working on. What's like, a smart beverage? Yeah, things that will actually drive your brain to function better. Like a nootropic? I know yeah. that's a buzzword, but. I just, some people don't like that word. Do you like that word? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's talked about through there. They talk about it more on like neurotransmitters and like memory function and that sort of thing. So they haven't been positioned just on neurotropic to me. I've got it. Okay. Which is actually interesting that you say that. So this water I have, I put creatine in it and I don't work. Awesome. I haven't been working out, but I heard that creatine helps with like a just small amount each day when you're drinking helps with like brain fog and processing and all that. So actually I have a little bit of creatine in here. So there's your smart drink that you just created yourself. Look at that. We should add some flavor. And I make a smoothie every day. Well, so you I make a smoothie like, every day. Yeah. So as soon as I get home, cause I was buying them and they're so expensive. Oh yes. Um, I just ordered like my protein powder, almond milk, put water in there, mm. kale, and I just blend it up and I drink that throughout the day. Amazing. I'm, I'm like, my brain is imagining like a creatine protein alcohol. <laughs> Can we put creatine in like a non-alcoholic beer? I, you know, well now, now you make me think about putting creatine in a protein powder in a beer. Yeah. It taste that great, but I mean, maybe we, we got, we have to crack it. Vodka. We'll make it taste great. I heard there was a protein vodka because uh, someone from the Jersey shore actually came out with a protein vodka. Okay. I'll have to try it. Yeah. I, um, I don't know what yeah, it's called. Like a, a lot of the trend now we were just, our newsletter is going to have it, but we were looking at all the ingredients too, that everybody's putting into beverages like pomegranate, chamomile, honey. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. There's so many great ingredients that people are putting in. I mean, the traditional is an IPA and having like citra and the hops and stuff, but now yeah. everything, chocolate, especially in stouts. Interesting. Uh, CBD. Yeah. Well, CBD and being here in Denver, it's everywhere. Yeah. How, have you been, been trying some CBD drinks and how do you feel about those? Uh, it puts me to sleep. Actually, someone handed oh. me something. It's right over there on my counter. I have two little vials. It just puts me to sleep. Okay. I know it's not supposed to have any psychedelic. Sorry? You wake up refreshed? No, I actually, me personally, I fall asleep and then I wake up like two, three hours later. Oh. Yeah, so I haven't really, and I haven't experimented. I think I have to experiment with the kind and uh, different brands perhaps. And I know there's like, I don't know any of this really, but like full spectrum versus it was derived from a THC plant. I have to learn. I think I got to experiment a little bit more. I'm, I'm a believer though. My aunt, has epilepsy and she was one of the first people in New Jersey to start smoking CBD cannabis and she was able to come off of Ambien and a bunch of other medicines. So 
firm, firm, not, I shouldn't say believer. I know it works. Yeah, that's amazing. And this is where um, I mean, it's scary for the farm industry, which is where I worked for a long time, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, RB? The RB and uh, GSK. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you think about stopping taking an OTC over the counter, even add, oh, yeah, Advil or Tylenol or a pain reliever like a leaf, instead pivoting to something like a CBD oil. And even creams. A friend of mine told me I can get creams for muscle aches. Oh yeah, you could. My my aunt bought my uncle a cream for his headaches, and he says, mm-hmm. "Oh, yeah." So like that to me is amazing. And why, uh, there's something else we talked about. We talked about it all with this one. It's Sunday Scaries. Yeah. The brand and. Oh, that's a brand. Yeah. I didn't know it was a brand. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Is it a CBD company? Yeah, it's called the Sunday Scaries. Yeah, I love it's it. Edible. Oh, so I it's like, get rid of the Sunday scaries and you take this and you know, you, it'll should chill you out a bit. Now I'm with you. I've been, because I'm Canadian and I went home, I guess in January, I think we ordered 15 different types of THC yeah. across the whole Indica all the way down. And I was just like to Steven, I was like, whoa, this is a lot of stuff. And then there's a definition under each. Oh yeah. So in order for you to see like what the spectrum is, this is going to give you this and this and then sure. each one. Um, so I think there's a lot of education actually in the cannabis industry that needs to be done, both CBD and then anything related to THC, which is a really exciting time, which is why I actually started working in that industry now. And we're working with a brand in Colorado um, and we're looking a lot at the edibles and I'm trying to get into working with the Canadian brand because edibles were just approved in Canada. Got it. And it's federally legal too in Canada. So. Yes. Yeah. Still some, obviously here for me, just investigating a lot of the space because some people that I work with CBD is really easy to be able to navigate through. And so being educated on that as it's federally approved in the farm bill is a lot easier and it's a lot there's a high growth opportunity in CBD still, obviously, with it being um, approved federally. And then it's sure. still going to take a few states. You know, New York, New Jersey, you guys are next. New Jersey will be next. And yeah. New York the year after. Um, and then so on before federally approved. Now, I, I, I love where we are from a business perspective and a human perspective, because even Denver just decriminalized shrooms. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, heard, I think somebody told me that. Yep. I don't think I should ever take shrooms, but. <laughs> well, there's an article that came out saying in the next five years, shrooms could actually replace the antidepressants oh. that we have. Oh, yeah. So, so the recent trials, the only legal trials that, of, or that I know of, I know started legally in the last five years or even like 10, 20 years have been on end of life patients. And the studies that they were giving shrooms which with the active ingredient like dmt they're actually were happier as they were passing that's amazing mm-hmm. yeah because they felt more connected that. to earth more connected to the world and people around them and they were like more okay with passing at that yeah. point and then now because of that there are going to be different studies that are happening and i know even here in denver they're doing studies on mdma for ptsd mm-hmm. and yeah i know there's been a lot of work on that i thought it was actually being used I, think it is, for, I don't know where the legality of it is, where that falls. Oh, yeah. it's not. Yeah, I think they stopped using it. 
And yeah, okay. So like, it looks like they're doing studies again. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'd have to look it up, but um, and fact check. But yeah, I think it's still a weird gray area. Like ketamine. Yeah. There, there are ketamine clinics all around the United States and they're used off brand. So they're not covered by insurance or anything, but it's been proven that they actually helps people with depression and especially people that wow. have a hard time fixing their depression. And it happens almost instantaneously. So once you have an infusion, I think it's like 30 minutes or so, and you start feeling the effects, the antidepressant effects within a few hours, maybe. Is ketamine natural? No, from from oh, my right. understanding, it's a tranquilizer. I think it was used as a, people love to say it was a cat tranquilizer, but I think it's, it was a horse tranquilizer. And then just generally veterinarians use it as a tranquilizer for animals. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the studies behind it is same thing with like DMT. It's kind of like starting creating those connections and fixing the synapses and all that. Uh, the human yeah, brain is a, a proponent of that. Cause I first tell you, I did my undergrad in psychology and I studied neuroscience. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, this is a personal thing. Both my mom and my brother had schizophrenia. Mm. So I studied psychology and the brain because of them in college. Interesting. We could, we could have a whole other, um, this is a topic that I love too. And I was talking about the book. One of the things, even that I was thinking a little bit about it. I love the idea about the Sunday scaries, right? But based on this book that I'm reading and more than I'm understanding, we, we as a society have a problem with, we need to start looking, I think, as anxiety and depression and the Sunday scaries as a symptom and not the problem. Mm-hmm. All right. Like maybe I could get, it's like getting rid of the cough, but never getting rid of the cancer, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I can maybe get rid of the Sunday scaries, but why do you have this on these scaries? Yeah. What are your, what's, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think it is? It goes back into connections in humans. So in the, the book that this person wrote, I got to find his name, but he wrote one on um, also on, what was it? Recovery addiction. And it, he has a story about someone that had schizophrenia and he was having a hard time and he was living pretty much his whole life in an insane asylum. I forgot what year or where this was in the, in the world, but he ended up finding a community where he felt loved and people cared for him and people loved him and they came back looking for him. The, the people from the psych ward and came and took him, And then all these people came back and grabbed him and like, they're like, well, he can't live out there by himself. And he's like, he's been living with us for the past, like tw- I'm making it up 10, 10 months, six months. And he's been great. Maybe does he still have some of the symptoms and some of the things that go along with that? Sure. But ultimately he was much, much better and happier. And um, there are cultures that say, oh, they don't have a word for antidepressant. And when they were described what an antidepressant was like, oh, a horse. Right. And they thought about it like a horse we could give to a farmer that then he feels value or she feels value again. And now is being able to be productive and have connections to the world. So an antidepressant is a horse, not a pill. Right. Analogy. Yeah. Or metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that culture. I forgot what it was. I'm sorry. I'm coming off here as like not knowing yeah. how I'm still reading the book, but basically yeah. things like that, there are cultures that, yeah. And antidepressant is like a party that we could have. Yeah. The present is. Or even the thought of like having a moment of depression or a moment of weakness, not as a bad thing, but as like a soul searching Fact finding, like friends of mine have done that Amazon. Um, I don't even know what it's called, but you know, when you go. <laughs> uh, ayahuasca. 
Yes. Yeah. I have a friend that did that and just yeah. talked about that and like, I don't know much about it, but sure. just you're, you're taking stuff, but then you're yeah, like DMT. Removing. Ultimately DMT is like the okay. molecule in all of these like psychedelics, LSD. Yeah. All that. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating because I think that your brain is, and this is what actually the book, the digital ape is talking about. It's the talking about evolution as well of humans and how, and this was interesting to me, how your brain became all of a sudden this big muscle that then the rest of your body, you didn't need all the hair and all these other things to support the functioning of your body because your brain is going to take the majority of your energy and that's what you're going to fuel. Interesting. And so it changed even your digestion, like how we are versus kind of gorillas and apes, et cetera, and how we became the evolved species. Interesting. And that now we're using all of this to then build tools and then yeah, yeah. now our computers and intelligence. Are you, yeah. you subscribe to the theory that our brain started growing because we started cooking? Have you heard that before? I haven't, but they did talk a little bit of that in our, in this book. Hmm. So I, I just started like uncovering this whole concept of like, what is it that caused your brain to evolve? And a lot of it was around tools and the creation of tools, but I'd love to hear more. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this theory is related to cooking. Like we were able to now start digesting and ingesting our calories better. Ah. Yeah. And therefore more started going to our brains. And then we started focusing on the other areas that you just mentioned. Yeah. So it's funny. It talks about digestion efficiency, which then promoted our brain. Yeah. Well, so you think about it, like they call our stomach, our second brain. That's where they know um, serotonin comes from. Serotonin doesn't come from the brain actually comes from your stomach. Yeah. That's why when you feel in love or you feel nervous. Ah. Yeah. And then there's also theories about, you know, DMT and actually cannabis have evolved with us as humans, right? And schizophrenia is an interesting topic to think about too in the whole bicameral mind kind mm-hmm. of aspects, you know, like mm-hmm. being able to hear your thoughts, bicameral mind being like being able to know that you're thinking. But as when humans were evolving, they never actually had that little voice in their head. And maybe DMT or shrooms actually helped them hear that other little voice. And when humans first started hearing that little voice in their head, they didn't know what it was and they thought it was God. So these are all just theories that are out there that I've. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually, I didn't hear that one, but I will tell you when I would talk to my brother when he was under a supposed schizo. Like an episode? Episode, yeah. He actually would tell me that he was done with his material body. So everything he said made sense. Sure. Like he's like, actually, I no longer need this. And it's time for me to like move to the next level. Sure. In many ways, his his brain was like expanding. Yeah. In many ways, right? Yeah. So it was just interesting. But then of course, he also did some interesting things where his brain almost seemed to, it was just working in a different way because he, when he was picked up by the police for for his first spell in which they found him and he's in a Santa suit and he jumped in front of a bus. Okay. They um, picked him up and he was talking in rhyme. So every sentence rhymed with the other. Wow. Yeah. And they're like, we got to take this guy in. There's something. Yeah. They were just like, Whoa, this is really interesting. And 
you know, obviously there's something going on that's more sure. and beyond what they could like have a cognitive, like have a, a normal conversation with somebody that was, that would make sense. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And to, to, to bring this back to like, what we were talking about yeah. business and everything. Yeah, no, cause I, I mean, and we can make this, this could be a whole podcast. I talked to you for like five hours about, but I think this is one thing I, I love about this podcast, being able to go in these places. Right. Yeah. And yeah. who knows if we would have prepped for this, this would never have come up. Right. No, fair. Yeah. <laughs> but there are all these things now that are allowing us as humans to get closer together, support each other, CBD, ketamine, DMT, I think, again, there's a great business opportunity, but it's great if there's a business opportunity, but also helping and supporting people. And ultimately, one of the mm-hmm. things is people love, people say that are worried about mind expanding drugs or sub, let's not use the word drug substances. Mm-hmm. That's what alcohol is. Alcohol is a mind expanding, changing substance, mm-hmm. right? We just don't like to think about it like that. I think I've always considered it as, you know, something that it's because you can get, you can consume so much and then you end up, and it's actually interesting because a lot of people were like, how do you feel working in this space? And I was like, Oh, completely comfortable because people, you know, there's obviously, especially with millennials, there's more of structure around how much you're going to drink and when you're going to drink. Um, and then also being particular about what you're consuming. Sure. And there's just more awareness around it, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, there was a big period of time where it was like, just drink to, you know, that you're just drinking to get drunk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also a big problem, even in like the nomenclature and the way we use it, even like legally, it's like drug and alcohol. They're being separated. Yeah. Right. Alcohol is not a drug. They're very much, well, it is like a substance. Um, interesting. Do you feel because I've had these conversations with folks. Do you feel there's still taboo in the United States being associated with cannabis? I know there's no taboo being associated, generally speaking, with alcohol, right? Alcohol is everywhere, commercials, TV, print ads, et cetera. But cannabis, do you still think there's taboo being involved in that? If like, if you went to the, your more traditional folks, even let's say you went back right now to the folks that you were working with in Canada, is it like, oh, you're working with drugs now? Yeah, um, Canada's an anomaly now because it's so everybody's like, "Hey, yeah, maybe Canada's a bad example." Yeah, <laughs> but because it's not federally approved, it just comes back to the laws and the rules and regulations and people abiding by laws. And I think for us, we know that laws were structured around specific things. There's changes. We've, I've seen changes because I worked in pharma and sure. It, talk to the FDA, you would work on things, you'd submit things, and you're constantly trying to evolve. I, th- I think there's still a taboo, but what's funny, somebody told me recently that even on dating apps now, you can put that you take extra regular... You can actually, on my Bumble yeah. app, you could do it. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So I was like, holy cow, I mean, that's unheard of. Yeah. So no, I- people now know, like, hey, they always knew what kind of drinker you were. Social drinks. Yeah, they asked that too. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I mean, people knew that, but now they're expanding to, you know, your recreational substances. Sure. So I feel like that is opening it up more than it had ever done. So those are little inklings to me that times are changing. Mm -hmm. And I also think the amount of research that's being done on 
And I had a discussion with someone on CBD, for example, on the whole epilepsy concept that when you start testing out things on kids and children, and there's research being conducted, it is a paradigm shift in how people view something. And fair enough, CBD doesn't have THC in it. Yeah. But then there's psychedelic element. Yeah. Yeah, the psychedelic component that, you know, why drink to get that release? Hmm. If you were going to, if somebody else is using, and pain, a lot of people talk about pain relief. Um, So giving someone another alternative that's potentially coming from a plant source Mm -hmm. and it's helping their life overall. And I think there's this whole paradigm shift to just overall healthy lifestyles and being more in charge of your stress and, you know, your anxiety and sure anything to help like overall your quality of life. Yeah, 100%. And we should be open as people, as governments to exploring those kind of things. I, I, I love that you brought up the, the whole idea of like people following the law and thinking because it's a law. I, I, I come up against that a lot. And I use the example here, like here, I, I've ridden motorcycles most of my life. You don't need to have a helmet. That's a law. There's no law saying you need a helmet. I'm like, all right, well, the government says I don't have to wear a helmet, so I'm not going to wear a helmet. Mm. That's just not smart. I'm going to wear a helmet regardless what the law is or is not, right? And maybe there's no law saying I shouldn't cross the highway without looking, but I'm going to look both ways before I cross the street or not even be on that highway, right? So if I look at it from that perspective, then the other laws, what do that mean? What do they mean, right? It doesn't mean right or wrong. Yeah. And it's just because it hasn't been brought up to a certain amount of people. And I was talking to a few people about when it will be approved at a federal level and it's, it will be the government and it will be around, you know, whatever leaders in place and how quickly things can change and get approved. I don't know if you might know this, but is the cannabis industry, does it have a higher percentage of women in it than It's funny that you asked that. I was going to tell you a couple of stats on because I was talking to this edibles um, company. So two things. One, I'm actually just starting to talk to an edibles company in Canada, which I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. They just, I told you, um, approved it. What came up in some of the research that I've been looking at, and I'm really interested to spend a lot more time in this space, is that it's there's this social weekender, both males and females, that are now moving away potentially from drinking to this cannabis experience mm-hmm. of some sort, whether it's an edible or et cetera, sure. but they don't want to wake up hungover or whatever. So let's try an edible or let's try, you know, something else. And there's still a stigma on smoking. Sure. Right? Yeah, like the actual physical act of smoking. Yeah. And then inhaling because it's your lungs and you know, you're, if you're smoking anything, you're still inhaling into your yeah. lungs. Yeah, there's still carcinogens. Smoke shouldn't enter our lungs period. Yeah. Um, and so then there's this segment of moms, moms with kids. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Who on a weekend or whatever, instead of, and they might sell the glass of wine, but it's yeah. like, Hey, let's try an edible. So soccer moms. Wow. And I think there's a lot more comfort for if you know how much you're consuming, because with potentially a, something that you're smoking, you're not really sure on dosing, et cetera. So people yeah. feel more comfortable with specific amounts. Um, and it's also good because then they can regulate it themselves after trying something. Yeah. And that's why I actually do love 
I'm okay with government involvement because now I can look at a label and trust the label versus getting it from someone who, even if it's legal, but that grew it, yeah. right? Like even though shrooms are decriminalized now here, meaning that you won't get in trouble by having them, they're still not selling them in stores or anything like that, mm-hmm. right? There's a difference between legalization and decriminalization, but then I still don't know what I'm getting, right? This person right. might be like, oh, you got, I grew this X, Y, Z. And it's like, who knows? At least with the cannabis here in, in Denver, you know, it was regulated. The, uh, the bigger companies are doing like third-party testing so you know what's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the CBD company that gave me the liquid uh, actually has a QR code on it that I could scan and then put a lot number in and it tells me exactly what's in it, when it was grown, mm-hmm. all that kind of good stuff. That was a big thing that came up with um, individuals that we're talking about in the, the cannabis space is there's a quality level, even in terms of production and it being organic versus non-organic. Yeah. And people just don't understand yet because it's so new. Sure. And, and tr- the truth of the matter, unfortunately, is there are a lot of shady companies out there too. And we see that in supplements, right? How many studies have we seen where people buy vitamin C and they test the pills and there's like no vitamin C in those pills, right? That's happening now too. So maybe someone who's like, oh, I tried CBD, didn't work. Yeah. I went to a store just to, um, what I can't remember what I was getting it for. Might've been a headache or something or no, sleeping. So I've never had an issue sleeping. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, supposedly as you get older, you need less sleep. Okay. And I know that. Uh, oh yeah. As you get older, you need less sleep. Mm-hmm. So, and also with your physical activity level, you need less sleep. Supposedly you'd think you'd need more cause you need more rest, but mm-hmm. so I thought, Oh, I'm going to test out the CBD instead of like melatonin or whatever for, but I went to the store and there were so many brands to select. That I it's thought, so difficult. Yeah, I need to educate myself. And that's why it's exciting for me because a space that isn't well defined, I love it, first of all. So I help I like helping educate. Yeah. Um, just based on the brands I worked on, because I worked on some brands that were, you know, for very specific treatments um within the context of um a product that provides like soothing for chemotherapy pair uh patients. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was called biotin and it was actually to help them with when they had, um, nausea, cancer. Okay. And they had potentially some chemotherapy that they would have dry mouth. Okay. And so you would use these mouthwashes, liquids, gels, et cetera, to help soothe. Interesting. Um, I deviated by the way for some odd reason onto this tangent, but no, please. Um, this, is, this, is what the, this is what the podcast is about. Like, okay. yeah, it was a product that you actually feel like you're, I had to educate, um, so not only the caregiver, but the, the patient through advertising and communication and using associations. And I loved doing that because you're actually helping with the quality of life for someone who, you know, had a specific yeah. issue. And yeah. that's what I feel like we have with the cannabis space right now. And both just CBD as well. I don't, I know, I, I don't know what to buy. So I, I hate that because I really want to know and make recommendations. Sure. No. And there's a lot of bad out there too, unfortunately. Everyone's jumping into mm-hmm. the bandwagon and selling it. And yeah. Yeah. What have you found actually? What, when you say that, what have you found? 
Uh, so uh, I'm part of a, I'm a mentor at a accelerator here called Canopy Boulder, which I'm definitely going to make an introduction to. And I want to call out a couple of people in the show notes too, like Helena, uh, who I'm mentoring and starting basically a CBD company that's going to be able to provide CBD to anybody who needs help, regardless of what their financial problems are or anything like that. That's someone you're going to have. To, well, we already made an intro. Yeah, I'm excited. I'll meet her when I'm there in August. Yeah. And then she's a, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think she's a neuroscientist too. Like she has a PhD yes. in neuroscience and uh, she's fantastic. But learning from her is that there's so many people jumping in now, like, and just like anything else with supplements, it's becoming almost, maybe I'm being a bit of extreme, but like the protein market, there's a protein company. Wow. There's always a new, like get big kind of thing. And yeah, there are no regulate regulatory systems right now that are helping maintain all this kind of stuff so it's kind of self-regulating right now oh really so it's kind of um there's a couple of markets where i remember there was a lot of stuff that wasn't getting regulated vitamins is one of them because i worked um because sure, they're supplements yeah and, the, and other businesses i wasn't specifically in vitamins but i knew that there were things that were starting to come into regulation in terms of at least defining what the product is and mm-hmm. that sort of thing so it's yeah it's an interesting area for consumers to navigate they won't have any idea. Sure. No, no. It's unless you know someone like, luckily I have a trusted advisor, like someone who knows that I could ask a real scientist. Right. And, but general public, no, I, I don't know. I, I'll look up to and put them in the show notes, like maybe trusted sources that people could go find this kind of good stuff. Cause I don't know. Usually mine right now is just with friends and professionals in the space. Yeah. And I think because you live in a, in a space where the state has it approved, mm-hmm you've had the opportunity to be exposed to a lot more than anyone else. Certainly. Yeah. Cause someone in maybe Florida right now is like, what the heck? It's mm-hmm. a completely different world. It's still somewhat peculiar for me. Like when I walk out and I smell marijuana, you know, and I actually smell it quite a bit. I don't want to give it like Denver or anything like a bad connotation, but like I do smell it quite a bit, even in my apartment building. And I'm like, Oh, oh it's legal. You know what I mean? Like versus being younger and smelling it and being like, Someone's doing drugs. <laughs> well, I even think back when I was in college, and this is under, I just never thought that Canada would approve it. Mm-hmm. Not even, wasn't even on my radar. Um, so I'm, it's, it's good to see, first of all, that it was approved because it helps with think globally. And I know there's a lot of other countries that have approved as well. Mm-hmm. And also from an economical factor, it's helping countries. And Oh, yeah. Know, I, I love seeing that too because it's, it's a cash smart crop. Reason. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, I want to get back to your business for a second. I'm going to tie it together, right? Yeah. So, in one sentence or two, the elevator pitch, what is Brewasis? Yeah. So, Brewasis is a company that provides insights using your data mm-hmm. to grow your business. Awesome. Specifically in the vertical of, beer, distilleries, alcohol. Specifically now, but then we're expanding to cannabis and CBD. Awesome. And then non-alcoholic beverages and actually creating a parent umbrella company to go into other spaces. So we're looking at white spaces as well. Because for me, Leo, the concept was, and as I started working in this business, it's expanded, obviously, and I've pivoted. I use data every day. And I didn't realize even that I was such a data nerd. I have to tell you <laughs> that right now. 
that was another one of my psychological barriers overcoming because females aren't data nerds. We are. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're not normally. I have an uh, iWatch mm-hmm. and I track um, everything. But one of the pivotal things for me, I, I um, watch my VO2 max, which is how efficient your body metabolizes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's around my physical body actually being as productive as it can be. So I'm already geeking out, right? Because I don't know anyone else that does that. So mm-hmm. not only that, but when I went away on my holiday last year, but also like my whole beer, like I needed to understand beer and maybe not as well as a brewer who actually does it every day, but I wanted to be really knowledgeable about where all the beer types and I did my Cicerone level one, which mm-hmm. talks about lagers, pilsners, like all the flavors, variants, countries where beer came from, the history. So I wanted to go there. I went hiking. I think I told you this. I got bit by a tick in Bavaria. You did tell me this. Tick came home. So illegal alien entered the country with me. <laughs> you didn't I fill was, out a form? He, he didn't fill it out. He snuck in. I'm going to send him back though to Bavaria. I talked to one of my German friends. I'm like, can you take him back? <laughs> Do you have him in like a little vial somewhere? He's in a little, um, I put him in a little baggie. That's I brought funny. him to the doctors for them to test. They're like, sure, I'm going to sure. test instead so i got lyme disease um and i i had felt jet lag for a good week but i was like oh this is killing me when they found out i actually looked at my vo2 max and i dropped five to seven points on the efficiency and it lasted for months and i kept watching it and i was working back at the gym i took two months off the gym because you can't work out when you have lyme you're exhausted yeah it's like lethargic yeah. I, I mean, if you get the brain fog, so you actually have no idea what the hell's going on, but your whole body's shutting down. Yeah. So, and this is actually a little, another thing, another push for me last year on my, on my business as a female founder. And as a founder, when I started to, you see your mental capacity degree mm. and that's your biggest fear in life. I think. Oh, right? oh yeah. It's the one thing I'm worried about my cognitive yeah. ability. Yeah. hundred percent. So I, I I'm drinking, Creatine water. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try it. Um, This happened and I was freaked out because I couldn't be as efficient. I was still getting a lot done. And um, some of my friends and family laugh because they're like, oh, now you're normal, Sharon. And I was like, oh, I get it. I have lung disease. (laughs) So as soon as I figured it out, took the antibiotics and started to feel better, I started to get back onto my workout schedule. And like my goal was to get my VO2 max back. Mm-hmm. and I'm tracking this, right? Like this is something yeah, yeah. that... I love how excited you're getting, the passion, I see it. <laughs> I just checked it yesterday. It had been like maybe a couple of weeks I hadn't been looking at it, and I was like, oh, it's back. That's so awesome. it took a year. No, 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 under a year, because it was September last year, or August, um, and I'm back, but that's how... That's how much data can help you. So I'm using this analogy of if I had no idea that I dropped seven points and sorry, I meant seven points you actually gain. So um, the higher your VO2 max is, it means worse off your body's not efficiently um, metabolizing everything and working at it. And I I won't get into all the science about it because I definitely am not a scientist on it, but because I saw it, I knew my body wasn't that until that number got back to last year's number. 
I absolutely love this is so interesting. Yeah. I love that we are in a place in the world and humanity that you're able to do that because even 10, five years ago, you, you wouldn't have been able to do that. And, and truthfully, the doctor, no fault of their own, probably would even, well, even have the technology to give you to measure that or think about that. And they're not with you, you know, like 24 yeah, seven. They didn't know how I felt or what they didn't know to check up on me. And here yeah. I am like, you know what? I'm responsible for my health. If I want to get my health back to what it was pre-Lyme, I'm going to eat as clean as possible. Yep. I'm going to work out again and get back. And I, let me tell you, I was tired at the beginning and it was tough because Imagine. your body craves sugar. Mm. Carbs. Yeah. hundred percent. Like glucose. Cause it's energy too. Yeah. It's all it does in Lyme is it's like, give me that pastry in your hand. I wanted to, I'd snatch it out of your hand and like stuff. that. Yeah, like start eating. <laughs> I do that now. <laughs> <laughs> I really, cause I had this number though that I, and so that's what I think is data is powerful mm-hmm. and not everybody knows where to look. That's- and for some odd reason, my superpower is that when I look at spreadsheets, which is so funny because no one would have thought this would have been my thing, but mm-hmm. I love looking at spreadsheets and finding nuggets of data that will help drive growth. Amazing. And that's my number one priority. And that so means any data, by the way. So yeah, it could come from anything. And mostly actually the most, the best data is the unexpected data, right? Yeah. Well, it's the surprise data that everyone has access to, but nobody's looking at. Yeah. I've been to a couple of uh, conferences now where IBM, uh, IBM bought the weather channel and they're presenting on the use of weather and like almost everything. I'm like, this is the most amazing thing in the world. I geek out on it. So I'm like, the weather is such a great indicator of different metrics and things that are just, we'd never think of. Well, happiness, weather. True. Yeah. Happiness, weather. Yeah. Going out to eat, not going out to eat, driving, not driving. Like we actually look at weather data as well for sales for the craft beer industry. That makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah. And when funny thing, when I was picking cities, I wanted to live in the U S I created a spreadsheet on the top cities with the numbers of days of sunshine. Yeah. Like not Seattle. Well, Denver has one of the most, they say, some people say it has more sunshine than Denver, uh, excuse me, than Miami. Oh, no way. Yeah. So Miami came up, Arkansas was one and I wanted anything more than Toronto just to give you my benchmark because I was coming from Toronto. And warmer than Toronto. Yeah. Any, any place is warmer than Toronto. Yeah. Ottawa, which is where I'm born, where I was born. Um, but like, all those little facts are things that somebody doesn't have time to look at. Makes sense. So my goal is the blind spots, like just like in a car, you just didn't know they existed. Yeah. And also you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You don't think to look at that kind of stuff. And there's confirmation bias, right? I always look at these data metrics, always look at these data metrics. Don't show me these, but you have the opportunity to perhaps come in and be like, well, let's look at all these other ones. Yeah. And I look across the industry so and I get I want- to see annual trends, which is also great because those secret sauce as well is that I get sales data from clients mm-hmm. and that's what we look at to see what are the trends. And then we're looking at the full P&L Amazing. and then looking at that to determine what would be, you know, growth drivers and sales drivers. And no one has time to plan unless you're working in corporate America. Yeah. No, that's true. Or the resources, right? To be able to right. gather and do it, right? Because like if you, back in the day, if you think of your old position, you were doing everything and anything. 
you maybe didn't have the luxury or the opportunity to focus on this area, right? As much as you yeah. wanted or should have. So if I was um, if I was a brewery right now or a cannabis company or anybody in the white space and I wanted to work with you, how can I get going? Yeah. So the f- first thing I like to do um, whenever I'm working with a client is a client, sorry, is to look at the space and I actually do what we call and my um my team's gonna laugh because it's a deep dive. Okay. And um we go through and we analyze the category, um brands in the category. So if you were a new brand, which is mm-hmm. super exciting for us, yeah. we actually want to set you up. So we want to say here's what a best in class brand should do. So when I start my vodka beer protein <laughs> creatine company you betcha <laughs> that's and then we'll define that we'll actually figure out as well what consumers are saying about it how you should brand it mm-hmm. um should it be a creatine protein vodka oh that's true or right maybe they want gin because the trend is gin and they want it infused with some other ingredients like pomegranate etc so i also look at all that that's amazing. All right. And then again, you could take that and it could be a cannabis company and do that very same thing. Like yeah, one of the things I have been seeing with the CBD and some of the products that I have here too, they do infuse them with like, um, I don't know all the essential oils, but like lavender and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe lavender is better for this versus that. Yeah. The same thing with beer. So the whole thing as well is right now we, we do our deep dive the next thing is tracking against what I call key performance indicators. And I have to stop using all these corporate. No, I'm, I love them. people are always like, Oh God, what are you talking about, Sharon? I'm just like, Oh, your goals. You're yeah. Your keep your KPIs here. Yeah. <laughs> so we set them up for the year across a bunch of things. So social media, sales, profit, et cetera. And then we're tracking monthly. Amazing. So that you're getting a dashboard of sorts. And I hate also using more dashboard because we overuse that. But yeah. it's a snapshot of your business. It's a view, it, I could do it of you, Leo. I could be sure. like, here's what your brand is this no, that's month. That's scary. Let's, <laughs> let, let's give it a month and let's look at it in a month and let's see what like what's going on. Visionary, that's what I think about is like if everybody could kind of have a, a goal of understanding themselves better. Sure. And it's just this tracker. I love it. That is so yeah, like the way you describe it, it could be in anything and everything. Like you just said me, my truth pug, my pug, who's an influencer. Like Yeah. And it's like, hey, truth, are you really delivering against and it's your own personal goal. So it's not about right. one of the things we always said in business was like you don't want to tell anyone their baby's ugly. Mm. But it's just about like being more aware. And one of my favorite ones is credit karma. Okay. That's a good analogy. Interesting. Uh, because if you're getting those updates, you're constantly given like little tips of what you need to do to improve your credit score, mm-hmm. why your credit score is important. Yeah. Um, and I know there's a bunch of apps that do the same. But that's yeah. the, the thinking as well. I absolutely love that. Where can they find you? What's your website? Where can they yeah. sign up for that newsletter? So brewasis.com. Um, is where the newsletter is on our newsletter page. Um, and then they can reach out to us through the website or even just directly to me through emailing or on my LinkedIn, which I know you have. And I love hearing about you know, anyone who's dealing with a business issue and 
you know, wishes they had more data mm-hmm. with regard to navigating through it and helping. And that's like, our whole team is about that. Cause we have a lot of, we like to think of ourselves as like savvy data nerds. <laughs> oh, and, and you do it. I gotta, we gotta give someone a, a shout out, Anna. Yeah. The new intern on your team. Yeah, Anna's been a new intern. Um, I probably should give a shout out to a couple others. Yeah, well, you you do a fantastic job of this. Actually, we talked about this. You always post on LinkedIn when you have uh, an intern or someone else you're working with. I absolutely love that. Yeah, three of them graduated, so I was I'm always sad to see them go. Yeah, let's well let's uh, give them a shout out. Who who else are the other ones? Yeah, so there's t- I'm going to use nicknames. They, that's what we do on my team. Um, so. Maze did a phenomenal job on our app development. So we talked about an MVP. We actually have one through her work. Nice. Um, that's kind of our first, you know, crack at it. MJ did our dashboards and all our visuals. Yanbin is my data scientist slash he's turning into a coder. So he's working on our next gen MVP. Wow. Um, T who worked on our coding our dashboards and he's working on the MVP as well. Anna, you introduced me to, and she did amazing work on our first round of our pitch stack. Uh, she's amazing. done the industry newsletter that's going out. Go, Anna. Um, Carol Ann, who did branding for Bruasis, and we're working on our new brand, which is Bruasis. Okay. A little shout out there to Carol Ann, but to <laughs> a sneak peek to our new brand. Amazing. So that we can cover a whole bunch of other, and it's kind of the team behind your data or just... Um, introspection on data yeah. across like multiple industries because we obviously started in the beer and craft alcohol. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, yeah. my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. We've been, this has been in the making now for like four or five months. I, I know we were, we had so much stuff on the go and you, now you're moving back. Yeah. So we could do this in person. You do some LinkedIn live, promote the heck out of everything that you're doing. Yeah, where are you living, by the way? I'll be in Weehawken. I'll be okay. I'll forever be in Jersey. Yeah. yeah, if I ever move back to that area, it's always going to be Jersey. Something big would have to move me to Brooklyn. Yeah, it, it's great and it's growing. There's going to be a Whole Foods there now. Oh, who <laughs> knew? Yeah, fancy. but I thought there was one there already. Actually, I'll be honest. There's a Trader it's Joe's Trader in Brooklyn that opened up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was there for that. Yeah. So no, my pleasure. And I appreciate to you recommending interns, which has been great. Of course. Um, and these conversations and just talking about my business and the journey, because it's always great. And you've always been a sounding board for me as well, Leo. And I appreciate that. Of course. So I, thank you. And for what you do, which is awesome. Thank you. No, thank you. I, I, like I said, I, you inspired me from day one. We, we talked for like, I think it was literally two hours and we were only like, let's get on the phone for like two minutes. <laughs> yeah. No, yep. I remember that. And I was like, here it is. Yeah, I know. I, I love that. And then we just became quick friends. So, and I, I want you to meet my team. Oh, that'd be amazing. I can't yeah. No, I'm going to be, I'll, we're going to hang out a lot. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. I do have to do one more shout out actually. And you have Please. to meet this person. So I, um, as you know, I've been like doing the CTO stuff myself. Mm-hmm. Um, funny story. I bumped into him in a Brooklyn coffee shop. I literally just moved my bag. Cause I would do that. For most people, I'd be like, hey, here's a seat beside me. Sorry, I had my bag there. Yeah. Sat down. Um, he's from Silicon Valley. His name's James Allen. He's been uh, coding and developing apps his whole career. Mm-hmm. He's self-taught. And he's been mentoring my coders. Nice. All right. So he's been yeah. so smart there. So I, yeah. maybe 
this will help you in any way. What are you looking for in a CTO? And if there's a CTO out there listening, what's the, should they just reach out to you? Send yeah. Them or? Yeah, that's actually amazing, Leo, because I've, I've interviewed a lot of people. Um, I think a couple of things. One is experience in obviously software development, software ac- architecture, uh, but in particular leading like a junior team because mm-hmm. my team happens to be new to all of this, but they're really smart. Um, they came from CUNY and I know it's hard because people want to bring in their own coders that have lots of experience. Um, but I really love working with, and I like hiring from my intern pool. Mm-hmm. And then algorithms is another area, which we didn't talk about today, but it's part of my vision. So mm-hmm. it's a really big thing that we need to understand. And, and then that whole MVP development. And I'm always open to meeting amazing people in both tech and the industry itself, like alcohol and cannabis industry. So thank you. No, of course. Should they, should they reach out on LinkedIn or... Yeah, LinkedIn's the best. Yeah, and my email, which is Sharon.Joseph at Bruasis.com. Awesome. Love it. I had never figured out a good way to end this, the podcast. Ah. <laughs> so it was always a weird, awkward moment. So I just say, thank you. See you soon. Thank you. <laughs> See, it's always awkward. Bye.